Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Continuing with our mobile Freedom Hut, I am doing this show from in the middle of New York City, in the middle of Manhattan, and obviously all anyone is thinking about is the coronavirus, COVID-19, Chinese virus. Uh, this is where the country's attention is right now. Uh, we had the president give a press conference today. I'll walk you through where we are right now with uh, therapeutics. Also, there was an update on the vaccine, although I'm somebody who thinks we need to stop talking about vaccines and focus more on therapeutics, given the timelines here. It's also becoming more apparent to people that China is a problem here, not just in terms of being the place that's, that allowed this virus to initially get out of control, but the Chinese government is aggressively trying to put the blame for this on the United States. And we are seeing actions now taken in China that show us really what we're going to be dealing with going forward. Uh, this is a change, a sea change, I think, in U.S.-Chinese relations uh, for a long time. This is not just going to be the duration of the crisis we're currently in. Uh, I think this is going to be looked at historically as a moment in which we entered a new phase and unfortunately a very adversarial phase with the Chinese government. So we'll talk about that. There's a little bit of political news to get to as well. And then I'll just give you some updates of where we are right now from the perspective of what I'm seeing and what it's like to be on on relative lockdown. We're in the middle of this 15 days to stop the spread period. I think they're going to expand it very quickly to 30 days to stop the spread. And people are already wondering when do they understand or, or when does it become clear to the people that are making decisions right now about what's going to happen for all of us that it's not it's not possible to have a total lockdown for three months or six months or nine months. Uh, we won't have an economy to restart if that's the case. It's not possible. I'm seeing these analyses saying 18 months, 18 months is what we are facing uh, because people will just start to non-comply. Millions of people across the country will say, I'm sorry, I, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm going to go about my life. So the government's preparations right now to deal with this surge, I understand. I support it. I'm with it. I think Trump and his team are doing the right things right now. But even the measures that they're taking with regard to stopping the virus spread, those are not going to be able to be extended just because the experts are telling us, well, this is what's going to be the lowest risk. Uh, so there's a limitation here. There's a time limitation. Also today, just so you know, we're having, you know, all kinds of changes. We've had to move people out of studios and doing all sorts of things that are making it uh, complicated to continue doing the show. But we're always I'm always going to have a show as long as the Internet is up and as long as I am physically able there will be a Buck Sexton show and we'll continue to make sure we bring you all the information that you need with it. Now, I do want to focus first on some of the positives here, on, on some of the the upside, because the focus of the president's uh, task force address, which I watched before before coming on air, also watched Governor Cuomo's address. And I must say, he has been a steady hand in this. And he's not no cheap, not like Chuck Schumer and some of these others who are just taking cheap shots. And I they're so appalling. They're, they're, it's such a disgrace at this point. I don't want Republicans taking cheap shots. I don't want Democrats taking cheap shots. 
This is everybody in the same trench. And the invading force of this virus is already making a run for us. They're, they're already coming at us with the first wave here. So I, I don't need people in my trench who are going to be talking about, you know, who had more biscuits to eat last night. No one cares. And no one cares what anyone's saying, uh, politically speaking, a couple weeks ago or what. This is not the time for blame shifting. We're going to have a lot of time for all that. We have an election this fall, a perfect opportunity for anybody who really wants to make this about whether the Trump administration did a good job or not. Yeah, you decide whether they're in power in just a matter of months. And we'll know then. We don't know anything right now about how good the response has really been because we don't know how bad this virus is going to hit us. Although the initial reports that I'm seeing are that we are just at the beginning of the real wave of hospital admissions, people with COVID-19 having trouble breathing. And we also have this now in all 50 states. Uh, I was I was talking to someone last night and she was saying, should I should I leave New York? And uh, my point was, well, you can't go to other countries. Nations are on lockdown. You can't even go to Canada. All right. As an American citizen, you're being told right now to either shelter in place or get back to America right now. And if you do come back to America, you're going to be put through some measures to see that you are healthy. All 50 states have it. The case numbers that you're seeing in terms of testing are just the beginning of what we're overall going to be facing in these places. And diseases don't grow in linear fashion. They don't spread in a way that is is mechanical and is easy for people to predict ahead of time. All it takes is one person. I mean, there was a case in South Korea where somebody went to a, a, a large church. You know, she had a cough. She thought she was maybe a little sick. And now they believe that she may be, and if, I mean, it's terrible, but she, she may be responsible inadvertently for hundreds, that one person, hundreds of new cases. So this is why it, it can affect us anywhere in any state. And everyone now recognizes the serious, well, I shouldn't say everyone. I know there are these you know, idiots running around on spring break. That's being shut down, by the way. Governor, Governor of Florida, DeSantis, has come out and said, no, no more you know, no more body shots and keg stands with hundreds of people around you while the rest of the country is hunkered down in their apartments and hoping that we're going to figure out how we're going to handle this thing. So that's a, that's a good move. That's a good uh, addition here to what's going on or a good development. But let's talk about the positive for a second. And now this is more hope than it is good news. It's hopeful news, but it could be nothing. So I don't want to go too far ahead of us. But I, I want to note that there seems to be, you know, there seems to be a recognition because the last few days people have been saying, well, and, and the government's tone seems to be, we'll just ride this out with these measures as long as we can. That's not possible. We can't, we can't do this for six months. Uh, the, the nature of this is going to be like a snowball. You know, at first it's going to be people are having a little trouble, uh, you know, paying their rent, paying their mortgage, uh, you know, affording food and they're going to be all this debt forgiveness and all these or at least debt delay, you know, pe delaying the, the recovery of debts. That's going to be happening. And then people are going to realize, OK, well, my business that I worked for, it's not just they haven't paid me in a month. They're not going to reopen. And then people realize hundreds of businesses are in completely dire. And, and by the way, not just individual businesses, although that's certainly true, entire sectors if you want to get really scared, 
look at the reality of what the Boeing Corporation, a major multinational company, look at the reality of not just their stock price right now, but just as an indicator of U.S. industry and, and aerospace, look at where that's heading. They've already had the the max airliner uh, catastrophe to handle, which has been terrible for that company. You add this into the mix. Uh, some of these major companies that we think of as the bedrock of the American economy, they're going to need ent entire bailouts. And we're going to reach a point pretty soon here where the bailouts are just going to be too large. There's going to be too much asked of the Treasury. And even if they start writing these checks, we're going to say, hold on a second. Now we're creating systemic financial risk for everything. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to add to, to fears and anxiety here. I'm about, I keep saying I'm about to get into the upside, the good side of this. But let's all understand right now, anyone who's telling you, yeah, we're just good. This is going to be the new normal for six to nine months. It can't be. It can't be the new normal for that period of time because there will never be another normal after that in the United States or anywhere else for that matter because the economy is going to disappear. And you're going to have an entire generation that is lost to economic despair and deprivation. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. And 99, if 99% of people are really survivable with this disease, eventually this is where you're going to get to the noncompliance where people will say, I, I, I got to go and I got to live my life and I got to run my business and I got to do what I got to do. <clears throat> so that's a real possibility here that you're going to just have people say, I'm sorry, but we're going to I'm willing to take the risk and no one's going to tell me not to. So we are maybe maximum two or three months from that being a mass sentiment, in my opinion. OK, now let's transition for a second. Why is there cause for immediate hope in this situation? Not oh my gosh, break out the champagne. We are a long way from that. Why is there cause for immediate optimism? I'm going to get into that in just a second. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Vaccines take a long time. They take a long time because you have to make sure that you're not giving people something that's going to cause more harm than good. You could very possibly give people not just a, an infection that you're trying to prevent. So if the vaccine doesn't work, a, a bad case scenario is that you give people COVID-19 and you're trying to prevent it, right? Or the worst case scenario is you start giving people something that not only allows the virus to flourish in them instead of protecting them, but would also perhaps create an elevated version of the virus allow for mutation of the virus to make it even more drug resistant vaccine resistant etc so you're, there's just no way that they will be able to accelerate that process i appreciate that the president is addressing that is talking about it but i also think that we need to focus less on the vaccine possibility here and more on the therapeutics therapeutics is just a, a fancy medical way of saying the treatment OK, so this means that you can start to bring to bear things that would, one, just be helpful in in lowering the worst symptoms. I mean, what we're really trying to do here is prevent double pneumonia, interstitial pneumonia, as I believe the term that you're seeing used for COVID-19 when it's full blown, double pneumonia and an organ failure 
and shut down. That's what we're trying to. That's the worst case scenario of this disease. That's what kills people. So if you can introduce measures that allow the body to beat that, then we've got a very, very good shot of dropping this mortality rate down substantially. The intubation and putting people on ventilators, right? Intubation is when they actually put the tube, you know, into your nose, your throat or however they I don't even know how they do it. Um, and then it, it breathes for your lungs, mechanically f- functions your lungs for you. That just buys you time for your system to fight back against the disease. So you're still relying on your own immune system. You're just giving yourself more time for your system to do that and, and trying to extend the clock of your lungs continuing to work so that you can, you can survive. You have this. Okay. Therapeutics, uh, treatments for this that rely on what's already approved is a best case scenario. And this is where you get some reports out there right now about these therapeutics that are already approved for other drugs so that we know they're safe and we have some sense of their effects already, right? This isn't like, oh, I've got some magic compound. You know, it, it could kill, you know, half the people who take it, but maybe it'll cure coronavirus. Uh, the, the therapeutics are things that are already out there, already can be safely taken, and we understand the drugs at some level. Uh, they are looking at a few of them now, and the one that's getting the most attention is chloroquine. Chloroquine's been around, I think, since the 1950s. It's an old-school malaria drug, anti-malaria drug. And those who don't know, mal- malaria has been one of, the great, or one of the great plagues of all human history. Uh, malaria is spread through mosquitoes, as I'm sure you all know, uh, but it really is a parasite that lives in the mosquito and that can be sp- is spread from person to person by the bite of the mosquito. And it's a horrible disease and it's actually a recurring disease. So I've been with people who have had, for example, a malaria relapse. So if you get it, it can kill you for one. But if you get it and you beat it, it can come back later because these parasites uh, can exist in your system even beyond the initial uh, duration of the disease. I had to take uh, during time that I was in sub-Saharan Africa for work back in the day when I was working for the government and I was in some pretty, pretty rough places. I had to take a substantial malaria medicine. I remember I asked them, I said, what happens if I don't take this? And the doctors, the, you know, Uncle Sam's doctors were like, you're going to get malaria is what's going to happen. So I had to take it because I was in places where it was endemic and prevalent. So there's chloroquine. Mefloquine is another malaria drug some of you may be familiar with. Doxycycline is an antibiotic that can be taken as a malaria prophylactic. I've taken, I've taken all these things. Uh, Mefloquine is the one that some of you that served in the military or have spent a lot of time overseas might know can give you these kind of hallucination, hallucinatory dreams. And the dreams range from I've had friends tell me, wow. That was the most amazing dream I've ever had. And then they get in the details. I'm like, buddy, I don't need to know. And two horrifying dreams that people actually consider self-harm because they're so far. So the, 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 that's mefloquine. That's not I'm not talking about chloroquine, although I, I think it has some similar properties. It's, it's certainly an anti-malarial as well. Uh, the one that many of you probably took if you went on safari somewhere is malarone. That's another malaria drug that is. Uh, much more well tolerated by a lot of people. Doxycycline, uh, I've taken that. That's an antibiotic, though. So that's wiping out good bacteria, and there's a lot of consequences for that that you don't want. 
All right, but back to the COVID-19 fight. There is a very small early indication from a study of just a handful of people, and I know that there was someone who was an advisor to Stanford University's uh, medical school who was on Tucker Carlson's show last night talking about this. Well, the president just addressed this today. Um, there is a early indication that chloroquine, a drug that's been around for a very long time, could be useful in the treatment of COVID-19. We don't know if it's, you know, we, we, this is just at this point, I think it was maybe six or eight people that they, they, they tried this on in France who have COVID-19. They're claiming a very high success rate, almost unheard of success rate. Do not become I, I, I'm I'm trying to give you some optimism, but I'm also not trying to tell anybody, oh, it's we the most devastating psychological thing you can do right now, other than straight up panic and despair is celebrate too early. We don't know if this is going to work. We don't know if this is going to be that uh, breakthrough for us. It's encouraging though and the focus right now on these uh, special remedies that are out there that already exist and Gilead Pharmaceuticals also has a few antivirals and there are people that are trying and this is all of the world this is this is like in the movies where the alien invasion happens or where the asteroids gonna hit the earth I mean the entire global scientific community is looking at this and doing everything that they can to try to come up with this because we don't I think there was a oh we'll have this lockdown plan and we'll just extend the lockdown as long as we have to No, the lockdown is an extreme measure but we can extend it as long as we have to we got to fix this thing as soon as possible thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast remember to subscribe on Apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts and you know, my friends, that the optimism around these uh, therapeutics, these phar- pharmaceuticals that may be useful in the treatment of COVID-19, you know that this is a point where everyone's a little bit skeptical because they understand the psychological devastation and the bad decision making that comes from, oh, we are out of the woods. We're OK now when you're not. So it is possible that this chloroquine thing is just a blip on the radar. You know, who knows? We don't know yet. But I, I will say this, and I don't think anybody who's following this at all would, would, would disagree. Uh, if chloroquine turns out to be even substantially effective in treating COVID-19 or any of these other therapeutics similarly works right away because we already have these things, it will be among the most magnificent and timely scientific breakthroughs in all of human history so everyone please pray and if you don't pray if you 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 meditate for all of you know peace and harmony whatever like just whatever you think you can do psychologically i i i believe in the power of prayer i i think you know this is the time when more than any other that i can think of we need it you know after 9 11 I knew we could turn to our, our, our army, our Marines, our airmen, our sailors, you know, our, our, our SEALs, Delta. You know, I, I knew that we were going to get the bad guys. 
You know, it was devastating. They came after my hometown. They came after my country. Uh, but I knew that we were going we were going after them and that we were going to win. Uh, we are against the clock right now with this viral enemy. And we need our scientists to pull this one through. You know, I'm trying to avoid a lot of politicized talk about what a what a waste it has been up to this point in time for these marches for science and hashtag science and we believe in science and it was really just all climate change propaganda when nobody could argue with the fact that the scientific uh, community the threat that they should have been focused on by public opinion and policy and and funding wasn't what the global temperature is going to be in a hundred years it was looking at the last 20 years of this series of respiratory diseases coming out of China and posing a pandemic threat to the whole world. I remember working at the Council on Foreign Relations in 2004, and there was a woman there, and all she did was uh, pandemic analysis and preparedness. And we all would, would hear her stuff, and there was nobody who would say that what she, I, I believe her name was Lori Garrett, and there's nobody who was saying, well, she's wrong. This isn't something to worry about. There's no one who could point to the history of pandemics, which stretches back for as long as there's been human history. You know, we've been dealing with this for, uh, for forever. I mean, you go back, if you read Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian War, the ancient Greeks, and, well, the, the ancient uh, Athenians, these are all ancient Greeks, the ancient Athenians figured... We have this incredible city. We have these. We have this, uh, you know, amazing defensive fortification, and we are the most advanced city in the Mediterranean world. The Spartans, yes, they're very good warriors and they're allies. Right? It wasn't just the Spartans; it was always the Spartans and their allied city-states along with them. Same thing with the Athenians; they had allies all over Greece too. So think of it as a city-state. Really, each of them were confederations. E each of them were. Uh, we're, all, we're whole groups of, pol of polises, cities, going after each other. But the, the thinking at the time in, in Athens was at the start of what became known as the Peloponnesian War. And Thucydides, I highly recommend. If you will, here, here's, a, here's a read for those of you that have a lot of time on your hands now. Read Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War. It's one of the most uh, magnificent and, and important and gut-wrenching and thought-provoking histories of any war you will ever read. And there have been, to this day, you know, Naval War College, you name it, West Point. This is in the, uh, this is in the blood of military historians. And this is, you know, this is part of the, the curriculum of anybody who's serious about military history around the world that has been for a long time. But the Athenians went behind their walls and they figured, because you had a... Uh, requirement for any army in the field to feed them was difficult because you had to work on the the agrarian cycle you needed to have people home for the harvest and you could only feed them for so long before they had to be home for the harvest and you couldn't keep an, an army out in the field well what ended up happening were was that the spartans changed the changed the game on this one they actually built forward fortifications to winter in place which was not expected. And the Athenians brought everyone into their walls in the city in the city. And guess what? They had a breakout of a of a plague. 
and it just ripped through the city and it changed the whole dynamic of the war because it weakened Athens greatly. It terrified the Athenian people. But then there was also an extreme uh, bitterness that reflected itself or was reflected in the way that they then went after the Spartans afterwards. And this war stretched on for years. And it was a war of, of total of total devastation, really. I mean, there were anyway, I, I maybe maybe a lot. You know, it would be really interesting, actually, if I did. And people have been asking about this. But can you bring back, you know, we're, we're uh, people are under self quarantine. Will you bring back the history podcast? And the answer is, I, I, I'm going to do another history podcast. And depending on how long this goes, I'm going to keep doing history podcasts because, you know, if 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 5,000 of you end up listening or if more like 100,000 end up listening, which I think is based on what we've done in the past on Shields High, I mean, that would be where I'd expect it. Um, it's worth it. And because I think we all need that, that both diversion and to keep our minds engaged in the process of learning that's not oh, we're learning about disease. We're learning about this pandemic. We're already all doing that. We have no choice because, because it affects all of us. And we have to make decisions about this. We have to make our own choices. And people are asking me for, you know, for my judgment on this. You know, what do I think? Should they do the following? Should they go outside? Can they go for a run, a walk? That's why information is so important right now. And the information keeps changing. You know, on, on the one hand, this is a reminder of the magnificence of our healthcare system, our healthcare professionals, the bravery, the expertise, uh, the, you know, the, the willingness to put themselves under tremendously stressful positions, the duress that they're under, and also the fact that we're able to start thinking in terms of when we'll have a cure for this. In previous pandemics, nobody thought there was a cure coming, and no one knew how long it was going to last, and it was allowed to just burn through whole populations. And this is where you get to the very horrifying and really timeless mental imagery of bodies piling up during the bubonic plague. Or as I've talked to you about bodies piling up during the great cholera epidemics in New York City in the 19th century. You know, the, the, the crowd diseases have only been around as long as we've had modern agriculture and the gathering of humans in, into density. Before that, it was very it was very difficult for these to be you know, measles, mumps, uh, influenza. You go through all these different diseases. They need human density. They're called they are called crowd diseases as a result. So with the rise of megacities, this has been largely uh, to be expected. I, anyway, I try not to focus on how the scientific community is being asked to play all these stupid political games in the past over climate change. And I mean, it's just absurd. Everyone knew that it was only and people will say, oh, we didn't know. No, no, we knew it was only a matter of time before a pandemic like this happened. We knew it was it's cyclical the same way that you can tell. And by the way, now we're seeing a pandemic and a stock market crash at the same time. But anybody who follows the stock market will tell you what goes up must come down. There will be a change. There will be a time when things go bad here. And yet the lack of real urgency for this, and I don't mean urgency from the Trump administration or urgency from the immediate policy standpoint of this. I mean the lack of a social focus, a societal focus on trying to uh, get ahead of this 
even all the advances that we have. I mean, it, it is frustrating that I walk around with a, a because of capitalism in the private sector. I walk around with a supercomputer in my pocket, but we are faced now with a situation where we don't have enough N95 masks. We don't have enough personal protective PPE, personal protective equipment for medical uh, frontline first responders. And that's frustrating. And it does show that there has been a mismatch between the n- uh, truly necessary. And, and we're, look, we're, we're seeing this not even just with the surgical masks and, and with some things that are more specific to this pandemic. You know, a, a lot of people in recent years have been have been raising alarm about the need for strategic self-sufficiency for this country. And when we look at what has happened in the last few weeks, now all of a sudden everyone understands, yeah, we need to be able to manufacture our own masks. We need to be able to manufacture our own antibiotics. You know, th- this idea of an American manufacturing base that provides what we definitely need here for strategic reasons as a nation, as a people, you know, this is uh, in the past has been pushed aside as some kind of, you know, Buchananite, you know, Pat Buchanan style fantasy or it doesn't matter who cares. Well, now we see why it matters and now we see who is right and who is wrong. And the the cries of, of how globalization is just nothing but good. You know that's not true. There are trade-offs for everything. There was, there was an inherent lie in this. Oh, globalization just makes us all wealthier. Globalization makes us all better off. Okay, well, there is an increase in wealth, and maybe that increase in wealth is across the board, but there are also drawbacks. The same way that when people tell you there's no drawback to open borders, and I, I've been saying this now on the show for years, you know this, of course there are drawbacks to open borders. There have to be. Otherwise, why wouldn't everyone just advocate it for, uh, for it openly? And why wouldn't every state in the world do this? They want wealth. They want prosperity. Well, clearly there are drawbacks. Clearly there are problems. And so we are at the beginnings, not just of this fight against the pandemic and the fight to save our economy. That's absolutely the case. But we're also at the beginning of a sea change, a massive shift in our thinking about American sovereignty, our role in the world, the role of the government, the role of the scientific community, our relationship with China, China, which I'm going to be talking to you more about, to be sure. Uh, we're just at the early stages of an enormous shift, the same way that our mindset after 9-11 changed dramatically about how we have to deal with radical Islam. And we, have, we essentially spent the next 20 years And it's not like it's completely gone, but we spent 20 years where the primary national security focus of the United States was stamping out radical Islamic jihadist terrorism, terrorist supporting states where we could in as many places as possible. We are going to be changed and shaped by this pandemic. And this is true even if we get it under control in the next 30 or 60 days, which would be a miracle. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would feel like a miracle. Uh, Even if that were to happen, this is going to change the way we view ourselves, the way we view this country and the future of the United States of America for generations. So let's all get ready for that, too. There's going to be profound shifts in our thinking about what real public policy priorities are, 
what international relations should be like with other states and also the battle of the hegemons between the U.S. and China. I'm telling you right now, this is I mean, Tom Clancy couldn't have dreamt up in a book a better start to how two nation states really on a collision course find themselves shifting, you know, the, the thinking of these two states will shift in ways where long term struggle and conflict, I think. And I, and I don't I'm not celebrating this. I'm not happy about this. But I think the confrontation now with China, as soon as we get past this, uh, is inevitable in ways uh, because they have shown themselves. The Chinese Communist Party has shown itself to be a global menace and a true risk, not just the United States, but to all other countries. And that that will not be allowed to stand. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think that you really got to think that our, our scientific community right now, scientists, medical researchers, that they realize they are being asked here to possibly save tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe millions of lives and very possibly the U.S. and global economies with the clock ticking. The pressure on them right now is immense. There's no question about that. But I believe they are up to this mission. And whether it is our CDC scientists, I mean, I think it'll come from the private sector, and that's not some rah-rah capitalism. That's my honest, although I do love capitalism, that is my honest belief. I think it'll come from in the private sector. Um, this latest information about chloroquine is encouraging, but we don't know. These other, uh, these other antivirals um, that are already out there, some are used to treat HIV, for example, so we know that there's you know, antiviral effectiveness. But this disease, I'm sure we're going to find out, is a very wily, challenging, shifting target. You know, I'm sure that COVID-19 is not going to be, oh, yeah, you know, there's probably different strains already out there, mutations, people's systems handle it differently. The FDA chief has said they're going to streamline this process of trying to get therapeutics out there as fast as possible. There's even work right now on people that have had COVID-19 uh, taking antibodies out of their system after they've recovered and trying to use those antibodies in some way in people that are infected to give their immune system a boost so they'll be able to beat this thing back. And there are a lot, you know, there's, so there's a lot of stuff going on. And the possibility in the next 30 days of a therapeutic breakthrough, you know, if we bring this thing down even from a one or two percent mortality rate to what the flu is 0.1%. So people will still die. But if we were able to do that, bring it down tenfold. Now we have enough ICU beds, right? Now we, if we, if we bring down the overall uh, symptoms of this so that you have far fewer people who are not just dying, but obviously the symptoms would be less. So then they're also more likely to be able to stay home or get out of the hospital quickly, not need to be on a ventilator. You know, now we have more equipment. Now we have more personnel. Pray for this, my friends. This is the best hope we have to be out of this thing within a few months and really out of it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this was pointed out, but I have to share with you 
something from 27th of November that one of you said that I said last year. I want to play it for you now. This is Buck's prognostication of future problems. We should all take a moment to be thankful for the most important things. Your loved ones, your health, and the fact that you are alive at this time. It is, it is an amazing and glorious thing to be alive at this point in human history. I would also say, and I, I, had, a, I had a feeling this morning that I wasn't sure I was going to share with you or not, but... Um, I do think that things are particularly strong right now. Things are going very well. I, I get a little, little uh, twinge of ominousness that there's something ominous over the horizon in 2020. I don't. I couldn't tell you what it is. I don't. You know, I always say nobody can predict the future, and don't trust anybody who says they can. Um, but we're we're going to head into some. This is where all the cliched analogies come up you know the stormy waters we're going with something because right now things just feel a little bit too mm, stable positive strong and there is always there are ups and downs my friends yep november 27th 2019 there it was well i appreciate that that uh, listener pointed out that i had that i guess you'd have to call it a premonition where I said that I knew that something bad was coming in 2020 because things were just going far too well for far too long. And we were getting, as a, as a people, and really as a global community, but particularly here in America, we were just getting kind of, you know, fat and happy. Things were going good. And then we faced this new reality, this change reality of everything changing. That's, what's, that's at least what it feels like right now that's where we are with this so god i really hope that what i was talking about the last hour I, i've never wanted anything so badly in my life uh, as i want to get the news that we have effectively come up with a treatment for this disease and then we can all just really you know i i, I, I don't want to i don't want to celebrate early and so i can't go there because we're not there yet I don't even want to let my mind go to that place because we are in the trench and the virus is coming at us right now. The virus is on its way to try and uh, do as much damage to us as it possibly can. And we need to be prepared for it. But I, I just would note that there's, you know, that there was uh, a feeling. I, I really woke up with this feeling and it was of dread. And it was that 2020 something bad was going to happen. And for me to go on on radio and, and say that on a nationally syndicated radio show with you know hundreds of thousands of people across the country listening was noteworthy i think i don't know what it is other than just i'm glad all those times when i was on air that i was able to tell you enjoy where we are right now enjoy your life right now things are good in this country don't listen all this stuff with the media think about how much they tried to rob us psychologically rob us of what was one of the most prosperous and peaceful periods in the history of this country, in the history of the world. I mean, the first three years of the Trump presidency were a time of remarkable stability and growth, prosperity, happiness, joy, in so much as government can affect these things in your life, right? I mean, but also... It was more than that. We just weren't in a period of major war. We weren't in a period of economic deprivation. So it wasn't about, oh, Trump is so great. Look at what Trump has done so much as, as it was about the country was doing really well. And I 
knew it wasn't going to last. And I find myself now in this situation where I hope I was, I, I was, you know, uh, it's just frustrating. I was going to say, I was, I would wish that I never had to have those feelings because, or, or that I would be sitting here thinking what a silly, what a silly little anecdote I shared with all of you, but instead it feels like prophecy. And now we're in the midst of this fight. China is responsible. I wanted to switch gears here now to China. China is responsible for lying to the world about this virus. And the more we find out about this, the more it'll be clear that China does need to be held responsible. And I don't know how we even do that. What are we going to do? Demand reparations? How do we hold China responsible for not being honest with the world about this and then perhaps allowing the spread of a global pandemic that could have been completely stifled within Chinese borders. There are also a lot of people that are saying, how could the Chinese government, given its ability, its authoritarian impulse, remember China is a place where you can't speak out against the government and if they want to make something go away, they will meaning they don't care about human rights. They had the one child policy for decades. Uh, and I'm going to get more into the character of the Chinese regime. And again, understand that everything that I'm that I, everything that I'm criticizing right now has nothing to do with individual Chinese people. China is a wonderful culture with fantastic people. It's one of the oldest, most powerful and important cultures in the world. I'm talking about the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, the bad guys. The regime, the people ruling over the one billion Chinese who just want to go about their lives, you know, love their families, provide for them and, you know, have their own joy and connection to to humanity and the afterlife and everything else that we all do, too. Right. So uh, we're, we're in solidarity with the poor Chinese folks who have to live under this tyrannical regime that, yes, it has produced prosperity, but prosperity alone is not enough, as we've seen, because prosperity can go away. And then what are you left with? It's amazing that the Chinese government, uh, and, and it's also deeply distressing, given how much they're able to lock down things, given how much power they are able to wield, it is stunning that they let this wet market phenomenon continue as long as they did when there were blaring neon signs telling everybody who was paying attention, this is going to go really, really bad. This is going to be a big problem. You can't have 100, 200 different rare and exotic wild animal species all brought together in horrific, cramped, uh, cruel conditions alive slaughtered with really no hygienic prevention or precautions whatsoever and have human beings in close contact not just with the animals but with each other in a very densely, popu densely populated city places like Wuhan but also Guangzhou and you know you look at these areas where they have these uh, histories of these wet markets I mean the Chinese government if they can shut down speech they can for damn sure prevent people from, you know, slaughtering ocelots and civets and, uh, you know, Asian crocodiles and all this other stuff that they're bringing into these markets and bats. 
how could they let this go on? I mean, the Chinese will give people the death penalty for corruption, and no one even really knows what the corruption was. And I'm not saying they should do that for people who are just trying to make a living and feed themselves, but this is a regime that has an iron fist. The truth is, they, didn't, they weren't willing to stop. Weren't willing to stop this. And if they did shut it down in some cases, they allowed it in others. This is a massive totalitarian surveillance state. I couldn't even bring my phones into the country a year ago when I was there. And now we see that they allow this to happen and the whole world is suffering as a result of it. And they're lying about it. They're telling lies about what really happened here. And those lies matter because some people will believe them in China. Some people will believe them in the rest of the world. And ultimately, what is the truth of a Chinese Communist Party going to be going forward? That's something that they think is up for debate, up for the effects of propaganda over facts. What we really are reminded of here, though, is that for all the glitz of the, and the glamour of the new buildings and the you know, incredible feats of engineering and the r- pulling people. All, by the way, how did China pull all these people out of poverty? Markets. Yeah, we've been doing that a long time here. It's not like they came up with some incredible new secret sauce of, of how to make an economy do well. We've been doing markets here. Europe has been doing markets in the post-World War II era, and things have been fantastic. South Korea has, is, is far more on a per capita basis prosperous than China. So I think we give them all this credit because after decades of Communist Party rule that was horrifically brutal and heavy-handed and inhumane, and they couldn't feed themselves in this massive country with a tremendous amount of arable land and, and, and fantastic river systems for irrigation. And they couldn't figure out how to feed themselves in the 20th century. And so what they do, they, they changed and they adopted a market-based approach. And now people look at them and say, well, you know, the Chinese Communist Party is actually you know, doing a pretty good job, all things considered, in a lot of ways. It's like, well, no, I don't think you get credit for not starving your own people and for finally figuring out what other countries had figured out decades and decades, and in the case of the United States, really centuries before, which is that individual, uh, individual economic enterprise and free markets create wealth. Government redistribution creates scarcity and poverty and misery. But there's something else about the Chinese Communist Party that we have to remember here. They... And people are writing about how we're entering a new this is going to this is the start. We will look back at this as the start of a new Cold War with the Chinese Communist Party. I really believe that. I think that is what we're heading for now, because the the outrage that we should feel as we go further along here and find out as we suffer more, as we see our countrymen suffering and in misery and despair hopefully not for very long and hopefully not very many. We'll have to see what the final tally is. Knowing that with each passing week, we find out more about how the Chinese were well aware early on about what was really going on with this, that it was their fault, that they should never have allowed people to be. That's right. You shouldn't be allowed to eat bat soup. Okay, there are reasons for public health and hygiene laws in this country and in any country. You're putting other people at risk. And now they're putting the whole world at risk with these absurd policies and traditions around eating wild animals and bringing them in in these, in these cages and the whole thing. 
Horrible idea. And it's been known about, and they've already had a few, you know, SARS came from this. They think SARS came from the Guangzhou wet market in southeastern China, and it was a civet, which is like, uh, it's like a little, kind of looks like a possum, and it's about the size of a cat. Somebody was, you know, eating fried civet, or wanted to, and as a result, you had, you know, what was it, 800 people around the world died of SARS? I don't even remember what the final body count was, but the only reason we didn't have SARS turn, this uh, situation earlier with SARS was because SARS was so deadly that it's very hard to transmit. Essentially, by the time you show real symptoms, you can only transmit it when you have really bad symptoms. And by the time you have really bad symptoms, the mortality rate's really high. So essentially, the disease was so deadly, it mostly took care of itself. That's, that should not have been reassuring, though, because it, anyone who knows anything about virology, anyone who understands how viruses work, would have come away from this thinking, well, hold on a second. If all it takes is a mutation of a similar coronavirus, SARS is a coronavirus, same family as what we're dealing with now. That's why they call this actually SARS-CoV-2 is the scientific name for the virus before it turns into the disease, the, uh, the manifestation, the human body of COVID-19. We should have we should have known that this was going to come. And this, was, this was only a matter of time. Everybody should have been able to figure this out. Chinese government didn't care. But this is a reminder of the Chinese Communist Party is immoral. That's something else. You know, we, we don't often think enough about how yeah, our government has people who are imbeciles and there are a lot of elected elected officials who are deeply unimpressive. And there's a lot of stuff that we wish was different about the way they took they approach their jobs, and everything else. But ultimately, the United States government, because our people are moral and because our leadership has a system that was founded by moral people. And because there is an expectation of some decency, I don't know, this is where people would scream, oh, what about what we did in Vietnam and everything else? I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we're always good. But there are things that would not be possible for our government to do that are possible for the Chinese government to do. And we've seen this now for decades. And a government uh, made up of bureaucrats and officials who will stifle the most basic freedoms, who will put over a million Uyghurs, Muslim, uh, Muslim, ethnic, Turkic, uh, Chinese into or from the, near the Turkestan uh, is the whole separatist region of Western, you know, Xinjiang, China. But the, the Muslim Uyghurs in China being put into concentration camps, over a million of them. Uh, this is all indicative of the mindset of the Chinese Communist Party, which is that ultimately it's a it's a government founded just on force. It's a thugocracy. Yeah, they've opened some markets, but, you know, mafia bosses like to make money, too. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they're moral doesn't mean that they're ethical. And we all know that if you try to conduct business in China, even if you're an international party like the United States, they'll rip you, they'll rip you off and they have no problem with it. And there's been a tremendous decades long theft of intellectual property, which we all recognize is really the most valuable that and resources are economies now. Natural resources and intellectual property, you know, and yeah, human capital, too. But you need to have those first two things if you're going to have your human capital beat the other guy's human capital. So China is a regime that we are on a collision course with now because they I mean, they, they've definitely lied about this. They're trying to put this on the United States. And I would note that, you know, I started this segment out with how I had a feeling something bad was coming in this year. Trump was right 
on China. He's been right all along. This bipartisan blindness to what the Chinese regime has been doing and the way that they've been conducting themselves for decades against international partners, particularly against the United States, has put us into a position right now where we have to say, hold on a second, not only are they the cause of a global pandemic that will result in the erasing of trillions of dollars when all said and done of U.S. wealth, that's probably what we're facing here, even if things don't go that badly, meaning you know we're not in a worst-case scenario. And the Chinese are seeing this, I think, as a, they say they've already got this disease locked down. They're seeing this as an opportunity. They will see this as an opportunity to try to get ahead of us. So we're going to have to confront at some point the reality of, is this the equivalent of reckless? Uh, you know, when you have a reckless endangerment or involuntary manslaughter, is the Chinese Communist Party guilty of reckless or involuntary biological warfare against the world and against the United States? If they were covering this up, as we know they were, and if that could have stopped it, what would somebody else like to call it? They knew. They have advanced scientists. They have advanced disease, uh, disease experts. They lied about this because they were hoping to make it somebody else's problem. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Man, just when I feel like I couldn't handle any more sad news, Tulsi Gabbard has dropped out of the presidential race officially. Suspended her campaign, same thing. You know, Democrats run around talking so much about how they want a woman candidate, and they have this woman candidate who's a minority and a veteran, and they just never warmed up to her, no interest in supporting her, the Democrat establishment. It's really pretty bizarre, but that's all we got. She was at less than 1%, and Tulsi's campaign is done so. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've tried so hard to avoid overt partisanship in all of this, making this about something that it's not. And I, I think that we're doing a particularly good job on the show. This is not about left versus right. It's, you know, all these cliches you'll hear from people in other circumstances, and then they just go and act like it is left versus right. They say it so that they, you know, throw you off. They say it so that you won't really pay attention to what's really going on. But it turns out they are using it as a partisan cudgel, a partisan tool against the other side. I, I try to avoid that as much as I can here. I'm giving shout outs. And I know some of you are like, ah, that guy's a Democrat. I, I don't care. If someone's doing a good job right now, they're doing a good job. And that's what really matters. Uh, this is 30 days that we're going to see what our government is really made of. We're also going to see to some degree what the American people are really made of. And this, it's just crunch time. We haven't seen anything like this as a country in my lifetime. And really, there's going to start to be a lot of uh, they're going to start to be a lot of comparisons made between what we're seeing right now and 1918, the response to the Spanish flu in 1918, that, that pandemic. Uh, I don't think this is going to be as bad as that was by any stretch, but just in terms of what we're able to do now versus what they were able to do then. You know, what the, the government then was, was completely caught, uh, you know, caught unawares in so many ways and didn't have a whole lot of tools to deal with it. So there's uh, now this 
press briefing that happens every day. And I think the president's doing a very good job of calming people down. Governor Cuomo, I'm watching because I'm here in New York State. I'm watching his press briefing, too. He's also doing a good job. Um, but there is this you can tell now ethos among the press corps that they really think that the most helpful thing they can do. They're so programmed and I don't want to make this more about the press than it should be, but they're so programmed to think in terms of what's going to be the soundbite that gets them on TV or, you know, gets everyone watching them, talking about them. And also that the only way you get to the facts you need and accountability from the government is to be on offense because Trump is the president, that they can't put it aside. They can't find themselves acting like normal people would in the circumstances of, who cares if Trump misspoke on something? At this point, it is not possible to have an IQ over 60 and not not understand fully that the president is sometimes imprecise in his speech. But we all know what he is saying. There's never any doubt about what the president says on most of these issues that the, the journalists say, well, can you clarify that? You know, you said that, you know, we're doing a good job against this, but is that really a good job? What is a good job? Why are you saying it's a good job? It's just it's just nonsense. You know, this is why uh, you also had Kellyanne Conway, for example, ask a reporter who claims that she was talking to a White House official who said to her, hey, I uh, said to her something about the Kung flu and she's an Asian American reporter and she claims that this was and she had a tweet that went totally viral on this vir- viral. There's that word um, where, you know, she's saying, oh, well, look at this White House. It's, effectively, this White House is so racist. They're even saying racist things to the media that's covering it. And then Kellyanne Conway pushes her on this and says, OK, name the person I want to know. It's unacceptable. Who said it? And the journalist won't say who said this to her. And now, I mean, I I think there's really only two possibilities here, because if you're a journalist and you hate this administration, which 95 percent of journalists do, even now, even while we're bracing for something that does not care about party affiliation, that does not care, you know, which cable news channel someone watches, the journalists can't stop. They can't help themselves. They're programmed. I mean, this is like a mental illness that they can't get over. I mean, it is it is Trump derangement syndrome as seen through the prism of covering this White House and covering this administration. And so when she's asked the question, uh, well, please tell me exactly, you know, who is it that said this? She says, oh, I'm a journalist and I can't, you know, reveal my sources. Really? There's only two possibilities here. One is that it's such a low level person and was said in such a non threatening way that or, you know, a a way not meant to be in any way offensive or maybe this person thinks they had a good enough relationship or they could make what they thought was a joke that it wouldn't have any real impact. So she doesn't want to tell anybody because, you know, saying that the White House junior White House staffer who made an offhand remark to you, you know, destroying that person's life, possibly getting them fired. It's not worth it. So they won't do it. The other possibility is that she just made it up. Though those are the only possibilities that I see. I, I do not believe that someone senior in this White House said Kung Flu to this reporter and she won't tell us who said it. I mean, because she would immediately be considered some kind of a hero to the left for exposing the racism of the Trump administration once again. Oh, it needs to be exposed. Uh, you also had 
At CNN, uh, Caitlin Collins, someone that I, I used to know a long time ago, uh, used to work for the Daily Caller, believe it or not. Now she dances to the tune set out by Jeff Zucker every day. How is it acceptable at all that we don't have enough masks? I, I agree that it's unacceptable that we don't have enough masks, but I also think we need to keep in mind that the Trump administration, uh, they're, they're not in the mask-making business, literally in that business. That's not what they do. And no one ever expected there to be a need for this many masks. And there are clearly some supply chain issues and some manufacturing uh, shortcomings, including we don't make this stuff here in America, right? You know, this is why when Trump has been talking about bringing industry, it's just so interesting to me. He's getting attacked because we don't have enough of something that is made in China. We don't have the manufacturing capacity to make it ourselves fast enough here. And Trump is the president who came into office against all the free trade absolutists out there. It's so easy to say you're for free trade all the time, right? Okay, I'm for free trade too, but what is free trade? Is China engaged in free trade with us? It's so easy to have this be a mantra and then think that you're very clever because you always say, oh, I'm a free trader. Okay, what do we do about countries that have tariffs in place? We just keep getting, what do we do about countries that uh, allow us to do free trade with them and then they steal our intellectual property as part of the proposition? But Trump is the one who has been saying all along, we need more domestic manufacturing capability. We need more uh, machines making stuff for us here. And now he's getting slammed because something that's made in China that's not made here, we don't have enough of. And never mind, you get into basic pharmaceuticals and antibiotics that we're really going to need. And the Chinese government, which... I've been telling you is the, the CCP is evil. The people that run it, they're, they're willing to engage in depravity and immorality. The CCP is an evil group. They will do things that other governments would not be willing to do. And they do it on a regular basis, but they've got so much money now because they've leveraged the ingenuity, creativity, and hard work of the Chinese people the Communist Party in China has so much power globally because of the money they wield that you have a lot of people who are cowards at this point in time. And the willingness of our own media, when we are all in this state of heightened concern, I'm not going to say panic, heightened concern over this coming wave of, of pandemic infection, the willingness of the media to parrot Chinese Communist Party talking points is stunning. And then you think more about how, well, the Chinese, uh, there's a huge market in China. I mean, there's a reason why the Top Gun movie that didn't even come out. I feel like nobody I feel like nobody even saw it. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why the Top Gun movie removed the Taiwan patch. The new Top Gun movie re removed the Taiwan patch from, you know, Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, as you all know, uh, on his leather jacket, his bomber jacket. There's a reason. And, you know, you would think that if, if journalists, there are people right now who are rising to the challenge all across the country. And I really believe this. There are a lot. We, we hear often about people who, you know, will, will do the right thing and make the right choice in times of crisis. I think there are people who find themselves in crisis, who recognize that this is this is their this is purpose. This is existential purpose for them, that they can really do more right now, do more good, do more to be helpful than they've ever been able to do before. And they're just getting in all that usefulness, all that utility, all that bravery, all that courage in this one moment. 
this is you see this, for example, with people who serve in the military. Right? They step up and whether they serve one year or 20 years, you know, when they step up and they're called to war, they recognize that that is a concentrated act of selflessness and courage and and uh, service to the nation. Well, we're not fighting a human enemy, so this isn't although the military is going to be doing some very important things here. I know the uh, United States Comfort uh, and there's another I forget the name of the other ship. These hospital ships are going to be called out. The mercy. Yes, the mercy and the comfort they're going to be providing. They're not going to be covid response ships. They're going to be deployed to give extra medical capacity to areas hard hit by COVID-19 cases so that they can treat people that have a heart attack or they can treat people that need emergency medicine of any kind and not have them go into a COVID facility because that's going to be a big problem here. You're going to have a lot of people that are going into these emergency rooms, going into hospitals and anybody else who goes in who's not a COVID patient. They've got to be very concerned about the spread of this. But some people are rising to the challenge in really incredible and profound ways. And, you know, I know I've been hearing from year for years about uh, the people that are, are part of this audience that that are part of Team Buck, who are truckers, who are, um, you know, working in small business, but who either are, are in agriculture or farmers part of the food supply chain. And, you know, right now, anybody who shows up to a grocery store, anyone in America, and I'm, I'm sure you know, a lot of them are be wearing masks and gloves and doing all the things they should to protect themselves. And that's great. And we hope that they're taking all the measures they can. But anybody who's, who's willing to show up and do that job right now, you are carrying a burden for your country. You could go home and say, ah, look, I'm just going to live off of credit cards for a couple of months if you don't have savings to do uh, to handle this. But I'm not taking that risk. You could do that. What would happen if everybody did that? What would happen if everyone who works at a grocery store? I mean, last night I went out for a walk in my neighborhood, quiet in a way that I've never seen it before, ever. Um, and I went out and there was a little store and it's a neighborhood place and they just make the most amazing roast chicken. And there was just one lady and one guy there working together. And I did what I said. I gave them uh, I came in and just took a chicken in the bag. 20% tip if I could have given them a, actually now I think I could do a do a special tip although I don't want to touch the iPad that much but you know I'll, I'll up at the 25% next time I'm trying to try to keep anybody who's showing up and doing their job yes we want to thank them but we also want to reward them financially to the degree that we the degree that we can you know yeah maybe you know if I if I keep tipping everybody 20 bucks every time they bring a sandwich to me in New York or every time I go get takeout somewhere you know eventually I would run out of money but it's going to take a long time I'm not worried about that so I'm happy to do what little part that I can. And I know that all the rest of you feel the same way. Do whatever you can. That can be taking care of somebody. You can go in. I'm going to be making a grocery run for family members later today. I'm going to be going to the pharmacy for them. Just whatever. I've got Tallulah here, the little adorable but very high maintenance, uh, maintenance French bulldog because I don't want my parents exposing themselves to, uh, to crowds right now. In the streets of New York City, there are still people walking around. So I'm, I'm taking care of the family dog. Whatever you can do. But we see people that show up at grocery stores. We see our truckers who are still behind the wheel, still showing up at those deliveries. People that work for cable companies that often get a lot. And look, I'm mea culpa here. I give the cable companies grief sometimes, too, for not doing a great job. Although I will say Verizon Fios really did make amends 
for what was a rocky start with them here in New York. They they stepped up big time. But now they're st- now they're all stepping up. Imagine what the imagine what the world feels like if our internet all of a sudden became overloaded or went dark. Imagine what it starts to feel like when we can't connect to each other in FaceTime. So everyone who's doing what we need them to do right now, when there's a lot of panic and a lot of fear going around, they're stepping up for their country. They're stepping up for all of us. And I think we're going to come out of this crisis. And I, I, I hope that we I know that I will. I know that you will. And I hope the whole country feels a renewed sense of gratitude for every person who shows up and does their job with honor and dignity, whatever the job is, whatever honest Whatever honest position you have anywhere in the economy, anybody who shows up and does their job and is contributing deserves respect, deserves our thanks. And particularly right now, those who are doing even the most straightforward day to day kind of jobs, but are putting themselves out there in the virus red zone so that the rest of us have, you know, a chicken in the fridge. The rest of us can go get bread, can go get uh, groceries. I mean, this This is the layer we need in place if we're going to beat this. And there have to be people who are willing to take that extra risk. And we're seeing it. And and I I really don't know how to thank the people that are showing up. I feel like no one's saying thank you enough to them. And I'm actually going to go out of my way to tell the people at the CVS, at the Dwayne Reed, at my local grocery store here, thank you for being here and doing this. I tell it to my the people who work in my building because I live in a very tall apartment building in New York. I'm telling them every day, thanks for showing up. What happens if they say, no, I'm staying home. I'm too scared. Well, who, who's going to take the packages that we need to keep life going here? Who's going to be making sure that when, you know, the boiler breaks or when there's some issue in the building, it's going to get, you know, does, any, you know, does anyone want to try to figure them, that out on their own? So there are a lot of people here who are stepping up and, you know, particularly our truckers, our grocery workers, our farmers, our food supply people, people working pharmaceuticals. You know, just name anybody who's part of that supply chain of keeping us able to shelter in place or stay at home or quarantine or whatever you want to call it. We owe them. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm happy there that I was able to avoid getting too deep into the conversation about journalists, because what I was going to say is that while. We're seeing the best of people who are often underappreciated or people don't notice enough in their day to day lives. You know, the guys and I can only speak to New York City, really what I'm seeing people who are out there delivering food. They're delivering food to people who are terrified. They're delivering food to people who can't leave their homes because they're the high risk population. They're doing a critical service and they're taking risk by being out there and being around people, exchanging, you know, packages with individuals, giving them the food that they're ordering and everything else. And they're stepping up. And what's just so remarkable to me is that a lot of the journalists that I'm seeing are, are still stuck in the wrong mindset. They're being petty. They're being childish. They view this as an attempt, as an opportunity to slam Trump. And it's just so disheartening and so disgraceful. And I'm hoping that they will snap out of it any moment now, but I'm not going to bet on it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what's it like out there right now? I can only tell you what it's like here in New York. Um, and it is, it is bleak on the streets. Last night I was uh, walking to go get some food, which you're allowed to do. So people tell me, oh, you know, we got a social distance. Trust me. I'm trying to create as much social distance from everybody as I can all the time. But, you know, we do have to eat. Uh, So I I was out and I was walking down Ninth Avenue right near where the 
uh, right near where the Lincoln Tunnel is, one of the main entry and exits into into Manhattan, into New York City, the heart of New York City, really. It drops you right in the middle of uh, middle of the city. And you could have gone for a jog down Ninth Avenue for about 15 blocks before you'd even see a car. So it is empty out there right now in a way that I have never before seen in this city. And uh, it's disconcerting. Uh, that's to say the least. I walked past businesses. One thing that I've noticed is the businesses that were already small, mostly takeout restaurants, they seem to be doing okay. Um, if it's a really small place, it's basically a takeout counter. And I'm sure this is probably true in a lot of towns and a lot of cities that are on some form of lockdown, right? I, I don't know what it's like elsewhere in the country. In New York, look, we've got the most cases. We've got thousands. We're going to have, we're going to end up with, you know, tens of thousands of cases by the time this thing actually passes through. Just in New York, just in New York State, New York City. Most of it's going to be in New York City. So there's going to be more of this here than anywhere else which is why the race to get enough hospital beds and the race to set up all this stuff is so important in this town right now. Um, but the places that are smaller, that are takeout focused, they're doing okay. Any sit-down restaurants shut down. They're already shut down. Because you, I, I don't mean, I know that they can't have full operations because you're not allowed to have gatherings of really more than, I think, more than 50 people you can have here in New York, and they're telling you they really don't want more than 10 people gathered for any reason, any time. Um, beyond that, I would just say, uh, you know, you recognize very quickly that these restaurants, the bigger restaurants that have higher rent are the ones that are bringing in basically no revenue. Even if they are allowed to do takeout, they're not running their kitchens and not running staff. And I just don't know how long that could possibly be sustainable. You know, every week is going to become more and more of a problem with unemployment. I know they're sending out these checks, but the truth is, and this is where I, I start to get highly concerned about the trajectory of all of this, more so than I already am. I don't even know how that's possible, but uh, what we're going to find out pretty quickly is that the government's checks and the government, the full faith and credit of the United States government is really just the American people. Right. That we are the economic engine. We are the wealth of this country. The Treasury Department without us doesn't mean anything. And if we keep thinking that the way to deal with this is in anything other than the most short term and immediate sense to write checks, to backstop this, to backstop that. Sure. I know we have to do that. I'm not saying there's any other choice, but we have to make sure that we limit that as much as possible because if the full faith and credit of the United States government comes into question, then we get into an even scarier scenario than we're currently in. And that's why we need to get these businesses open ASAP. We're also going to head to a point, I think, as a society pretty quickly where not only is there going to be the noncompliance if the continued lockdown happens, but also we are going to see... And I think everyone needs to be prepared for this. And it's tough to say, and we don't want to go there psychologically yet. Uh, we are going to see casualties from this daily. We're going to see loss of life happening. And I think it's going to be substantial. And that is going to be the case, even if we do everything as best we can at this point, and as, and as a country and as a group, 
we take this as seriously as we possibly can. You're going to have, you know, 200 deaths a day for a period of time. It's not going to be forever, but you're going to have 200 deaths a day, 500 deaths a day. Who knows? That's what Italy is going through right now. And Italy is a much smaller country. Italy is a fifth the size of the United States. Now, we're hopefully learning lessons from Italy. And also, look, I know there's these long shots right now with the and that's why I started the show with the hopeful. That's why I started the show with therapeutics and the possibility of breakthrough uh, breakthrough science that will save us from having to go through this. But right now we are on a collision course with all of this. And I've never seen anything like this. I've no one, no one has. I, I know there's going to be a lot of times where I say things like, well, Buck, of course, this is the reality of what we're all in right now. I will say that yesterday I did a, a Facebook live with all of you uh, who tuned in, I should say, if you want to, I, I'm planning on doing another one tonight. Uh, so and I think the, the best time for me to do it would actually be right after uh, right after the um, WOR show. So if you want to, you can tune in. I'll be doing a Facebook Live at 7 Eastern. And some of you are going to say, Buck, you're on, well, if I'm on radio that time, listen to me on radio and you can watch the Facebook Live on playback on Facebook anytime you want. Uh, because, as you know, radio is often delayed for different markets and it's not as, as easy as just, you know, we're all on at the same time doing the same stuff. But if you can, uh, just check it out. I'll, I'll be planning to do it. And I'll try to answer questions. Yesterday, we had a special guest with Tallulah, who has been pretty quiet during the broadcast today. And just so you all understand, it's my parents. It's, she, we think of her as the family dog, and she really is the Sexton family mascot in a lot of ways. It's my parents' dog, but I'm almost 40, so you can imagine my parents are older than me you know, by a couple of decades. And so I want to make sure that they are as safe as possible under the circumstances. And that means we're really keeping them in, in quarantine for their, for their own safety. And so I'm walking the dog and I'm out there dealing with stuff. The idea that I have three siblings and if I were, God forbid, but if I were to start getting sick, we pass Tulula on to one of my siblings here in the city and I would just stay home in quarantine. But this way also my parents stay off the street for as long as there's this heightened level of concern um, because we don't have great answers as to how this is really transmitted. I mean, we know that it can be through, uh, it can be through droplets. We can be through contact. How long does it last in the air? You know, these are all questions we'll probably know more about in the future. I also think that we're going to see an enormous interest, enormous surge of interest in really knowing a lot more about all kinds of viruses and respiratory infections and you know, no more of this like, yeah, you know, you get a cold. We don't really know that much. And, you know, we need money for more stuff like climate change research. No, we need money for this. We need to know this stuff. We need to figure this out. Um, we're, we're now facing what is economic. This is economically an existential threat to the United States. Economically, it is. It is not an existential threat to the American people, per se. You look at the and I'm not trying to be alarmist here. I see, you know, if we took. The worst case scenario here, America would endure and go on. And, you know, most of us would would survive. A vast majority of us, by the numbers, 99 percent of us would survive. But economically, this could be years of pain if we do this wrong. I mean, we, we could we could head into, you know, the D word. We could head into new depression. And that's why we need to be very careful with the decisions right now, with the mechanisms that we're using to try to deal with this. Anyway, back to Facebook Live. I'm sorry. Guys, we're going to be all right. I mean, I'm I'm also trying to give a, a fair bit of of optimism here because I, I feel like we have to 
not just pray, but wish the best things that we can into existence right now. You know, I, I am very fortunate that I'm healthy. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to continue to do the show that I do here every day and get to talk to all of you across the country and that you have so many different ways. The technology is so amazing. And we're able to basically do the same show. Those who are wondering, we had a little bit of a technical glitch. So that's why you haven't heard a lot of audio clips today. We'll hopefully have it fixed by tomorrow. That's why you haven't heard the usual Trump cuts and things like that. It's just we're working on some technology stuff to connect us. But you can hear the show on your radio stations. You can hear the show on podcasts and you can watch it on Pluto TV, even though I'm I'm in a mobile freedom hut. And that's a fancy way of saying I'm doing this from home. I'm doing this show from home. Because uh, we all have to be pretty close to a shelter in place situation here in New York. They're not calling it that. And Governor Cuomo has been careful to avoid using that specific terminology because it frightens people. But I leave my apartment to get food and to run necessary errands for family members and to walk the dog. That is it. That's it. Nothing else beyond that. So you are my connection to the outside world. And that's why we're also working on trying to set up an online voice box, uh, voicemail box where any of you from your cell phone, or from your house line can just call in and leave some thoughts for the show. We want to work more of that in. Uh, I have been saying we're going to bring back the history podcast. I'm going to do a full length siege of Malta podcast. It'll be, you know, at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. So we're that's we're going to do that. That'll be I can't give you a date yet, but it's going to happen soon. Uh, because I look, I need that uh, diversion too. I, I want to dig into what it was like in the 16th century, trying to hold off the most powerful military in the world, stuck inside some castle on a tiny island in the middle of the Mediterranean. That's an escape right now from what we're dealing with here, and and that escapism and that optimism that we have um, is really, really important. Oh wow! I just found out something very interesting. Dr. Fauci. According to uh, one of my brothers, Dr. Fauci, who you're all seeing everywhere, went to my high school. He's a Regian, as we say. He went to Regis High School in New York City. Who knew? Uh, I did not know that. The guy is, you know, becoming a national hero right now with all the work that he's doing and everything else that uh, he's got going on. It's a great place for those of you in the New York area you might know the school, but uh, it's a place that, you know, is really... Um, really upholds a lot of what's best about education and has done so now for over 100 years. All right. So uh, what are some of the things that we can talk about, though, that aren't just the focus on the disease and fighting the disease? You know, how do we keep ourselves occupied? That's why I'm talking to you about doing the podcast. That's why I'm talking to you about other ways that we can reach out to each other, because we're in this for weeks. Definitely. Uh, we're going to be in this situation of focus, national focus on this. There's no professional sports coming back anytime soon. There's so, you know, also please do take this opportunity to pass the buck. People that, you know, want something to do other than play video games and watch TV, you know, give them this podcast, uh, tell them to just go on Spotify, go on Apple podcast, type in Buck Sexton and just start listening to the show. I think we do a very good job here, you know, with producer Mark and the rest of the team, we do a very good job bringing you all the information you need, but also uh, presenting it in a way that is, is easy and listenable and, and works in some other things. And, and to that end, you know, I want to make sure that we focus on some of the things that we can do during this state of you know, relative quarantine, during this period of social distancing that will both keep us sane, entertained, and maybe even allow us some opportunities for self-improvement, 
You know, I mean, and then the biggest one that comes to mind is reading. I know I gave you the recommendation today because, look, I don't read as much as I, I'm reading all the time. I don't read as much as I want to because I read most of what I read now is for this is for this show, which I love. But it's very hard for me to take an hour or two a day, which is what I would really realistically just like every day to read for an hour, whatever I want to read instead of what I have to read. So I'm already reading probably four hours on average a day to do this show. And I'm doing four hours of radio a day, as you know, so that pretty much makes sense. I'm doing an hour of reading for every hour of radio that I've got. Uh, so it's eight hours just to do the radio shows and to prep for them. But I wish I had an hour to just sit down and dive into books, particularly books that I feel like I should have read and have never gotten around to. I mentioned Moby Dick to you. I'm sure most of you have read that, but I want to read it. Never read it. I know the story and that's fine, but I feel like I should read that book. I told you about the history of the Peloponnesian War uh, with Thucydides or by Thucydides, uh, the historian of ancient Greece. I think you really enjoy that one. I would highly recommend you dig into that. If you want something a little bit more contemporary, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, which is about it's a little bit uh, there's a little bit of the zeitgeist captured in this because it's about blood testing and the blood testing agencies in this country and science and medicine and so it's not, it doesn't have to do with pandemic disease but you know it's an interesting read i think particularly right now given that we're really reliant on some of these uh some of these companies in the private sector that do all this testing as part of a major part of our response to this pandemic so i would say read bad blood by carrie rue the billion dollar whale i read i kind of like it Ooh, shackleton's endurance just read the book is is endurance it's about the shackleton voyage uh if you have not read that book uh, you're gonna curl up and it's it moves once you get into it it moves almost like an action adventure movie i mean it's amazing great great read that you will really enjoy i assure you you will really really like it so i would i would check that one out um if you have any great recs for me by the way um, please send them along. I'm going to have more time now to read books that you recommend than I've had in a while. Although, you know, if you want me to do the Siege of Malta podcast, that's going to, you know, the Buckster's got some, some busy work to get to now. And also, I really hope you will uh, take this opportunity. Some of you probably don't do that much social media interaction with folks. Uh, you can write to us here on the show on Facebook very easily. We would love to love to uh, be able to have you following on, on on instagram as well so please buck sexton on instagram you can post your you know your favorite cat photos there and i'll see them i'll post Tallulah photos so let's stay let's use this opportunity team to be as in contact digitally as we can because we're all separated from each other physically and there's a sense of isolation that's going to creep into all this and we are a great uh cure for that what we do here and all of you. So let's keep that going. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, if there's one silver lining that I might be able to find in all this, it's that uh, now that I'm actually taking care of a dog all the time, which I haven't done in a long time, really I've never been fully in charge of, of a dog for this long. Uh, I've taken the dog maybe for a day, but it's been now a few days and it's probably going to be a few weeks. I think I got to get one. I love dogs. It's amazing. Having a French bulldog here is, is great companionship at a time when I think we could all use a little bit of that. 
You know, I, I, I live alone. I'm a single man. I have a girlfriend, but I, I don't have a wife and I don't have kids. So having a little Frenchie here to keep me company is, uh, is pretty, pretty cool. She can be a little bit demanding, as I've told you all. And if you, if you join me on the uh, Facebook Live later, you'll probably get a special, little special view of her. Um, but she's, she's a lot of fun. And uh, it's important to have some little being around you, I think, right now. Because, you know, we have all these screens and all these distractions around us. But human connection is different from the distraction that these devices can be. You know, it's great when I can reach out. I can FaceTime my parents. I can, you know, I've been talking to my, my sister and my brothers. That's, that is human connection enabled by technology. But, you know, just like you can only binge watch so many episodes on Netflix before you, you need some contact with, with humanity or in this case with, I guess, the animal kingdom. Sorry, Tallulah, technically you're not. You don't count as a person. I know that's a horrible thing to say, but you know, she's a canine. She's my little person. She's wonderful. So I think I'm going to get one. And I think I'm probably going to get an English bulldog at some point. That's my, I've been saying it for a while, but now, you know, maybe this, this crisis, we're all going to, all going to have a lot of things. It'll be almost like new year's resolutions when this is all done. And, uh, I got to get, I got to get married and I got to get a dog. So I think, and obviously kids after getting married would be nice. But I, I think an English bulldog would be great. So that's my, my um, right now, I don't know, pandemic lockdown silver lining is that I think, I think I'm ready for a dog. So that would be a lot of fun. And I think a little snorty English bulldog would be great. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got roll call, everybody. Man, it's nice, nice to get a chance to read your thoughts, share your thoughts. We all need, we we need each other these days, team. We need our shields high, that is for sure. If you want to be a part of the action, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, or you can email us, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. As I said before, if you're not already, please do follow on Instagram. I'll be posting more on there. You know, I'll be trying to use as much social media as just a means of giving, you know, more, more content and being in, in closer contact with the team. So, you know, Instagram is, is a fun place to uh, exchange stories. And you can also you can send the show you can send the show messages there as well. So it's just Buck Sexton on Instagram and you'll see you'll see my face with a little beard on it. There you go. All right. Sam is first up. Um, he writes, Hey Buck, I've been listening for about six years. I believe I'm in the army and listen to you while getting ready for work or unwinding at the end of the day. You mentioned the history shows you did in the past. I would really enjoy if those were returned or if you returned those into service, continue the good work shields high. Uh, Sam, I, I obviously you read my mind, my friend, cause I think we are going to get, uh, we're going to do a full on siege of malta podcast i think it's time i think it's time for that so that will be and if that does well if people like it if they download it if we'll see the numbers it's all digital then we'll do another one i i can't end with the fall of constantinople come on no way so we'll do the siege of malta and then we'll probably get into the siege of uh the hmm we'll go malta maybe it's time to redo lepanto you know, maybe the time has come for a full redo of Lepanto. Maybe that's two episodes or three episodes of podcast all on one topic. That's that's a possibility. So uh, the, we, we will bring the history shows back. It's going to be a lot of work for me, but 
I mean, what else am I going to do? I'm stuck here. Jonathan. Hey, oh, the only thing I'll ask, team, is if I bring back a history show, because that's just going to be extra. That's going to be in addition to the four hours a day of radio I'm currently doing, and I'm really just doing it. Like, I just do this stuff. I got producer Mark helping run the board, play clips, doing producer stuff. And uh, But in terms of the radio side, it's just you're looking at it, man. It's just me. So if I do that history podcast, I am going to ask you to really, because that's not political. So you should be able to share that with anybody and be like, hey, check this out. It's kind of cool. This guy talking about a history thing. Uh, and that would be great to see some real numbers on that. Jonathan. Hey, Buck. I'm a relatively new listener from Charleston, West Virginia. Love the show. So far, we don't have a confirmed case of Wuhan virus in our state. Nevertheless, we are still out of toilet paper. Huh. I do believe that this is being hyped up in the media because the Dems have no other option for November. Either way, I'm still careful for other people's sake who may who may uh, be in danger from this. I do consider it like the flu, though I know it's not. I know the flu most likely means nothing to my own health, but it still kills thousands elsewhere. I'm optimistic, but still cautious. So, Jonathan, a few things. I think cautious but optimistic is a very sound place for you to be on this. So I I totally support that. I think that's good. Good move. Stay with that. Um, And I would say... And, well, obviously, at this point, you, you sent me this. It turns out that West Virginia, I believe, just did get their first confirmed case of coronavirus, which means there'll be more cases there. So there's going to be more of this uh, in every state. And we all need to be psychologically, mentally, emotionally prepared for that. Uh, and as for you being a new listener and listening to West Virginia, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it, it is uh, an honor for me that all all of you. And the team is the team is large. The team started out. It was like a team like we could have like a basketball team. There's just like maybe like 12 of us or something. And now the team is was quite large. Um, but every single one of you who listens, who cares about what we do and who supports it. I, I cannot ever express to you how thankful I am and how, how truly wonderful the gift is of your attention and your willingness to be a part of what we do here in, in this community. So. I can never thank all every single one of you who listen. I cannot thank you enough. Aaron, we live in Sheridan, Wyoming, in a small town of about 900. We have to go to Sheridan to shop, which I did today. No, no toilet paper in any store. Most of the frozen food is gone. Canned food aisle is empty. I couldn't even find any puppy chow for my daughter's pup. People here probably socially distance themselves more than most folks around the country normally, But aside from the stores, things have slowed down around here. At least we can still buy ammo. I heard in some places ammo sales are suspended. People here, me included, really thought this virus would never really touch us. Turns out our country had the first case in the state, also the third. Our schools are closed until the third of, I guess... April or May? I don't know. I do feel lucky we live here. If a store runs out of food, we have rancher friends to buy beef from. I can walk out our back door and shoot a deer or a turkey. We have horses for transportation. I don't know how you live in a city. I feel like people would panic more there and people would get hurt. Anyway, best of wishes to all this uh, through uh, all this madness to you. Well, thank you, Aaron. Um, Yeah, being in a city right now is not confidence inspiring. It's not uh, an optimal situation. I think we could all agree on that. And it would be nice. You know, I used to have my my grandparents had a place in what we consider upstate New York, which was only two hours in the city. But it was 
it was rural um, where there were turkeys and coyotes and bears and all that stuff right right around the house I and mean, right in the in the land on the uh, the property that we were on uh, we don't have that in the family anymore though so we're i'm a new yorker man that's it i'm just here stuck in the city and we're hoping that city services uh, hold up and that the authorities the people in charge make good decisions i have seen i uh, probably will address this more tomorrow I've seen this reporting on some district attorneys I know in Philadelphia and also the district attorney here in Brooklyn saying that they're going to stop prosecuting for certain crimes, including the trespassing and burglary. And I don't know why they would announce that, you know, cops always have prosecutorial discretion. And if we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, yeah, maybe you're not going to get somebody for trespassing in like an abandoned house or something. You're going to say, hey, you know, get out of here. You're not going to process them and arrest them. But I don't know why you'd announce that, except there are people who are going to try to use this moment in time. They're going to try to leverage their own political desires. They're going to do what they can to use this moment of fear and try to get stuff done or try to get things their way. And that's definitely happening. You're seeing it with the talk of uh, criminal justice reform, specifically in hospitals. I'm sorry, in uh, prisons, not hospitals where people are saying that because of the uh, condensed nature of prison life or high density living, you need to let a lot of people out of prison. Okay, well, who are we letting out of prison exactly? And especially at a time when people are already so worried and there's such a combustible possibility in society. I mean, look, this, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be alarmist, but this could turn into civil disorder. This could turn into... Very bad stuff that really isn't about a virus necessarily. It, it can turn into other things, these second and third order effects that I'm not sure the government is in any position to handle right now. So we'll see. But yeah, no, being out on a ranch right now where you have access to fresh milk and turkeys and deer and, and as long as you got electricity and fresh water and you got your own land and it seems like you're in really good, even without electricity, you'd probably be okay. Um, but yeah, here in New York, man, we uh, we are city. We are city creatures. Andrea evacuated from our embassy abroad. Just got to the U.S. Self-quarantine a hotel. Can't see anyone. Delivery services and restaurants are shutting down. My hubby had to stay behind at the embassy. Team Buck, send some love my way, please. Well, Andrea, we are sending you a big virtual hug. Uh, I'm so sorry that you are separated from your hubs. And, you know, I know that we couldn't even hug you if we could see you right now because, you know, social distancing. I don't know what embassy you evacuated from, but, yeah, we're pulling all people back into the United States right now, all of our own. And, I, look, I, I'd much rather be here than anywhere else as an American, that's for sure. I mean, with the possible, you know, U.S. military base abroad, okay, I'd feel pretty safe there, too. But, and our embassy is just a building that the government lets you, that the foreign government lets you stay in, you know? It's not... That's not uh, it's not U.S. soil, really. I know people are saying oh, it legally is U.S. soil, but it's not. So I'm, I'm glad you're back. I'm sure your hubs will be fine. Give us updates as you can, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you some additional listening entertainment with the podcast, the History Podcast we'll put out soon. Matthew, hey, Buck, thanks for keeping the Freedom Hut going. Down here in North Carolina, they've closed down all grade schools for two weeks and have shut down major college campuses to transfer classes to online learning. My job is offering two weeks off with pay in the event of a statewide quarantine. 
That's the North Carolina update, Buck. God bless you, and remember, your fans love you. Well, Matthew, you guys don't love me as much as I love you. I can assure you of that. Well, that sounded a little weird, didn't it? It's like a hitch. I saw the movie Hitch a little bit last night with Will Smith, where he's just like, I know you don't love me as much as I love you, but like, I just really like the girl that he's dating. You know, it's a flashback from, I think, college. And when he's at Columbia University, the character is at Columbia University. And he's saying, I don't love you. You don't love me as much as I love you, but that's okay. You never want to say that to anybody. You know, you want equal love. You never want to say I love you more. But anyway, I love you guys who listen to the show. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, as for your two weeks off with pay, I mean, this is what I'm saying. We, we can handle, we can handle 30 days as a country, I'm saying, for individuals who are panicked because they don't have funds to pay. I, I get it, guys. I'm not saying anybody can handle this easily at all. But as a country, we come together, take care of people. We can do it for 30 days on pretty much the lockdown we're on right now. We could do it for 30 days. We could maybe extend that to 60. At 90 days on full on lockdown with people not going to work, not doing their jobs and things start to get scary. That's that's my assessment. So all this, the, the talk that you're seeing, people say, oh, we're going to be dealing with this. We might be losing people to coronavirus for 18 months. We're not in lockdown for 18 months. No way. We can, can't sustain ourselves, can't sustain the society. There's just no way. So you'll have, like I said, mass disobedience. That's what would be coming. Uh, Julie, let's say all goes well. And maybe after eight weeks, we go back to normal. A few months go by. And since you can't fool Mother Nature, the virus rears its ugly head again. Are we going to socially distance and shut the economy down again? If so, how many times? In my humble opinion, I think we may just be putting off the eventual inevitable. Julie, you raise a fair point, which is that some of the modeling that we've seen indicates that the plan that people have is for there to be a series of shutdowns, flatten the curve, restart, shut down, flatten the curve, restart. That's not going to fly. We're not going to be able to, that's not going to work. So we'll just have to see. We will just have to see. Um, I think we're giving them all we can right now. We're trying to obey as much of the government mandates as we can. But eventually, necessity will just take over, and there won't really be this possibility of obeying these mandates and these dictates for much longer. And as I, I gave you my timeline already for what I think it is. Um, and yes, this virus, if we don't have great therapeutics, we're not going to have a vaccine. If we don't have great therapeutics for this by the fall, it's probably going to come back. And that's going to be a problem. Um, I don't know. I don't know how exactly we handle that. So I, I look, I wish I wish I had all the answers. I only have some of the answers today. Jeremy Buck, what are your thoughts on pushing for tighter border security in light of the so-called Wuhan pandemic? I don't think the DNC will be able to defend illegal immigration and the poorest borders when this whole thing has passed. Also, the grocery stores only have skim milk and unsalted butter as of today. This sounds like Ron Swanson's nightmare, Shields High. Well, let me do these in reverse order, Jeremy. Um, first off, sorry about the skim milk, because as Ron Swanson would tell you, it is water that's lying about being milk. Unsalted butter, I feel like, is okay. Is that really that bad? I don't know. Do I, do we, can, and can't you just add some salt to your butter if you got salt? I don't know. I'm not that worried about that one. As for tighter border security, uh, yeah, down the line, I think we're going to have a very different conversation, a national conversation about when people say things like border security is national security, they're not going to, it's going to be a lot harder for left-wing open borders, Soros-funded lunatics 
to say, oh, that's racist. No, it's not racist. It's true. Secure borders uh, are part of national security interests of the United States. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continuing here. Let's see what we've got. And like I said, folks, um, please do, if you've never written in before, now is the time. We're all stuck at home. We're not all of us, but a lot of us are stuck at home. A lot of us are working remotely. Um, We're just dealing with family all day long. So use the Freedom Hut as your outlet. You know, reach out, talk to us, tell us what's going on, tell us how you're doing. And uh, we always appreciate hearing from you. Tracy writes, thank you for continuing to broadcast. Your show yesterday was great and provides a bit of normalcy. Well, Tracy, it's normalcy for me, too. I mean, I I look forward to this every day. One problem I have with my job is that I love my job so much and I enjoy being in contact with all of you who are part of Team Buck so much that, you know, even during vacations. Yeah, I like vacation once in a while for a few days. But after three, four five days of vacation, I'm usually like, wonder what the team's up to now. Time to get back on the radio. So that's just how I feel about it. But I I do appreciate that you appreciate it. Bethany, Trader Joe's outside Boston has shelves stocked at opening. This is where I'd go uh, in NYC if you can. Lots of gluten-free items. Good luck. Well, thank you, Bethany. Yeah, our supply chain so far is okay, everyone. There's no need. There really is no need for panic over that. We can feed ourselves. We're going to be all right in that regard. Joseph, Buck, I love the show. I listen to you on iTunes while cooking dinner. Perfect. It's a great way to do it. I told my wife last night that you speak to my conservative soul. As far as working out at home, look into the TRC straps. It's suspension training using your body weight. It's great for someone like me whose knees are eaten up with arthritis. Okay, Joseph, I will uh, check that out. Thank you. So I've been trying to get free weights, dumbbells. Mm-mm. Sold out everywhere. Can't get any delivered for like two months. And hopefully in two months, I'm not going to need to have my own pair of dumbbells because I'm going to have a gym that I can go to, right? But I don't know. We'll figure that one out. Kim writes, love listening to you. Keep up the good job of telling the truth. Sorry you're in isolation, but you have a fantastic, beautiful companion to be with you. She looks like a real sweetheart. She is. She's great. You need to tell people to check out the Bible and that they need to read and bring God back into their lives in this sick world. Sad that the churches are closing at this time. No, Kim, I agree. And actually, I've been thinking that I'm going to spend some time uh, reading the Bible. I really mean that. So it would be a good way to do it. Zach, hey, Buck, wanted to thank you for the podcast. The self-imposed quarantine has been rough. I'm in my senior year of college. I was really looking forward to going back and spending the last eight weeks with friends before commissioning. Sadly, as you know, all classes are online, even our graduation is. I just want to say thank you. Your podcast has really helped me get through the long days. I'm usually out and about. Would love to see a Buck-recommended reading list. Keep up the great work. Um, And thank you so much, man. I, I really do appreciate that, Zach. All of you, you know, this is the highlight of my day now. Every day, it usually is, but now especially. Because other than this, I'm just doing more research and more work to get this show done. You all, we are in this together. We are in the trench together. We are on the front line together. Shields high.